Is it time? Yes, it is time. Time for the show to start right now. Right. Welcome to episode 52 of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. This is Uncle Steve reporting to you on a very cold Texas day. Now today, I have a guest that has been an Iron Maiden fan going way back, and he's got some cool stories for you to hear as well. Now, if you've listened to the show in the last week and you heard me talk about the webpage and the Patreon page that I'm working on, It's all still there and ready to go, but I'm a slow guy, a procrastinator, and a one-man operation. I'm the turtle in the uh, rabbit and turtle hare in the tortoise race, and I'm trying to do multiple things. I'm married, I have kids, and I work a lot of hours at my job. Today, I watched three American football games and did a whole lot of nothing. Um... I'm looking into getting t-shirts made as well, so there's a lot of things hopefully coming in due time. Uh, The Patreon page, generally when you do Patreon, people that sign up get extra bonus things, and well, I'm working on the extra bonus things as well, so I really don't want to try to get people on there without having something in, you know, some kind of treat for them. So in the meantime... Go to Facebook and like the page, not the group. I think the group is closed at this point. Uh, Like the page on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, Uncle Steve Rock. Write a nice review with all the stars that they'll let you give on Apple or Spotify or Google or wherever you listen. You want to help your Uncle Steve out, right? Now, before we get started, I must thank the kind people that retweeted on Twitter or shared on Facebook. On Facebook, it was shared by the one and the only Liverpool Scousers. On Twitter, it was retweeted by the Weekend Warrior himself, Sonia's husband, Georgie's dad, the man of many nicknames from Sussex, England, but living near Melbourne, Australia or Melbourne, Australia, Andrew Whitnall. (laughs) Also 
retweeting it were the following people. Dean Longenecker from Columbia, South Carolina. The Liverpool Scousers, Stephanie Jane Gray and Don McIntyre. Kirsty in Perth, Australia. Hedard Ferran in Montreal, Canada. And of course, the Sassanac in Falkirk, UK, my buddy Andy. <laughs> well, I hope nobody is offended by this list or any of the names used in it. <laughs> and if you are, please send all of your angry messages and hate mail to Andrew Whitnall on Twitter. All right, let's proceed with this week's program. Welcome to Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone, another installment of Iron Maiden Stories. And right now, for the very first time, I believe, I, I don't think I've had anyone else from here, I have Dave Shuttleworth. He is from Hamilton, Ontario. He's my first Canadian Iron Maiden story. So, Dave, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, sir. I'm going to correct you on your first uh, uh, part there. If you've had Nesbitt from the old Talking Maiden podcast on your show, he is also a Canadian, right? He's, uh, he's from Newfoundland. I changed it, though. I said I said my first Iron Maiden story. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm sorry. Because while oh, I was saying gosh. it, while I was saying it, I thought, well, I've had Nesbitt on, so, but I thought I didn't do an Iron Maiden. So I said, let me, let me, let me swing this where I can make it sound right. <laughs> oh. So thank you for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time. So uh, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, I know you've emailed me this, but where exactly is Hamilton, Ontario? Is what, what, what could people, how could people figure out where that's at without looking and at a map? We are, okay, so Hamilton, Ontario is uh, obviously southern Ontario. We are on the western tip of Lake Ontario. The best way I describe it is the halfway point between Toronto and Niagara Falls. Toronto and Niagara About an hour each way. Okay, okay. So, yeah. And, and did you, were you born and raised up there? Born and raised here in Hamilton. I have not uh, traveled uh, too far. Um, and uh, it's funny because you're, you're in, uh, in Texas and I work for a, for a tax company and our head office is in actually about what, 40 miles from where you're located in, uh, in Dallas. So okay. I do a lot of traveling through the U S but as far as home, Hamilton has been home for 44 years. Okay. And you said you've never, you told me you've never been in Texas though, right? Never been to Texas, traveled uh, extensively throughout the U.S., but never been. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I love your accent, my friend, and uh, it's be a pleasure talking with you for 25 minutes or so. Oh, gosh. Well, maybe maybe, um, maybe your company will send you on a business trip to Dallas and we can uh, meet up one of these days. Absolutely. We'd look forward to that opportunity because I understand you're a drummer and I'm a bass player and uh, we can talk about the rhythm section for Iron Maiden or maybe even play together or the, the, uh, the options would be endless at that point. 
Heck yeah, that sounds fun. That sounds really fun. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll go. We'll go right into this here. Um, uh, the first question, I, and I and you sent me some. You sent me some information, so I kind of gauged these questions on some of the stuff you sent me. So, H- how old were you the first time you remember hearing Iron Maiden? I believe I was about seven years old. Um, I was. Uh, I had heard "Run to the Hills." Now that's not. Um, what got me into Iron Maiden? That wasn't what inspired me to say, "Who is this? I got to go and get it." But sure, we had a local uh, roller rink here, and uh, you know the DJ was spinning records, and and Run to the Hills was was one of them. So I remember hearing it there a few times, and then um, so that's when I first heard uh, of Iron Maiden and uh, and that song. So I never got to hear like the Paul Diano. I had to go back to get that kind of stuff. But oh, uh, sure, it sure. was a it was a few years later. Um, when I, when, um, they had released, um, live after death and the first single they released was, uh, running free. And it was funny because, um, the, uh, running free sure of, and that video that they were playing on our, you know, local, uh, or, um, the, the, the music uh, video station that we had here, much music, um, yeah. they, they didn't, uh, you know, include that, uh, whole four and a half minute call and response that Bruce does with, with the crowd. Right. It's just, it's a three minute single that they edited, but I right. saw that and I saw the lights and I saw the crowd and I saw Steve Harris's, you know, blue sparkle bass. And I, I, uh, I thought this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. So shortly yes. thereafter I went out and got the record and that's what started it. <laughs> when you say running free, I just think of Bruce saying, Song from the first Iron Maiden album. Exactly. Somebody named it Running Free. Let it go. <laughs> I'm like, I, is, I'm like I, when I think about that, I'm thinking, what kind of intro is Somebody Named It Running Free? <laughs> Does, I've always, now maybe I've heard it wrong, but uh, I thought it was Song by the Name of Running Free. Oh, that might that be a could more be English uh, uh, way of saying it. But anyway, yeah, I've never thought about that. That's probably a better, I like the way, I like mine better because it sounds like he's, it's like he's <laughs> Uh, I didn't even think I've never really thought about it, but as soon as you said "Running Free" a second ago, I just went "Song Off the Forest" and made an album, and I'm that's thinking right. of the beat how he sings it. Oh, and that uh, whole funny. and that whole call and response thing where they get the crowd uh, say "Yeah, yeah," like I can I can repeat that word for word. It's, it's oh yeah, I, for oh, years yeah. I've been able to do it. It's just it's so wonderful. It's just amazing. Yeah, a, a friend of mine he said that he thought. Well, you listened to the uh, ranking. Maiden and James on there said that he thought that Live After Death was the most quotable live album by Iron Maiden. Oh, absolutely, so, I would agree. Yeah, uh, they've they've streamlined everything after that. I think so. Well, it became that album became if you read read the magazines and you know Martin Popoff and and um, um, who's the other guy and uh, the other British guy. Um, it'll come to me. Um, but anyway. Uh, it, it's it's the it is sort of the gold standard for metal live records. It's so well done. I mean, there are some edits and there's some stuff. If you watch the sure. video, it's different from what they finally compiled of those four nights in Long Beach. But it is the it's the metal standard for live records. It's just so good. It recognized not <laughs> only by Maiden fans but by by um, you know metal fans alike. Right? It's it's just the record to go to. Well, that's it's the record to go to for some people. <laughs> <laughs> some of us rank it number eight on their list uh but in others of us have it tattooed on our left arm right so you know it's a matter of personal preference that's funny you know uh you know i thought anything i record and say afterwards i listen and i always think you know i probably shouldn't have had it that low but you know like putting like you know because james he was as soon as i said made in england he was like 
there's more songs on side four than there is on Made in England. What are you talking about? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, well, yeah, that, but that also makes a difference on on uh, on the um, live after death. You have that fourth side, which was recorded at uh, Hammersmith, right? And it's really Hammersmith, which, which is the best side. Wh- well, I don't know. There's there's some. They're playing them really fast. I just it, it, it's. Um, I mean. It's certainly fantastic. I I think uh, I think of that side more as an afterthought than to the full, you know, uh, World Slavery Tour set list beginning to end on the first three sides, right? Yeah, you know, I I, w- I talked to a guy yesterday, and he was telling me he he lived in Australia when he was younger, and he said that when he had the Live After Death cassette, he said he he had a double cassette. And I was like, wait a minute, you had a double? Because mine was a single cassette, Mm -hmm. and my cassette did not have the five songs from side four. So when he said that, I was like, I had to purchase the LP to have side four. Yeah, well, that was the same thing here. I mean, that's you're talking about you're talking about a record. I mean, for kids that grew up in the eighties, I mean, the bands and the the bands that we listened to, and of course the record companies had made money on us so many times over because we bought it on record. tape right cd and in this case you've got you know dvd and then the uh, the video cassettes and then the downloads and all again i have so i don't know how many times i've purchased live after death uh right, but you right, know they've, right. they've certainly made their money off of me um but you oh, threw yeah. on the cassette it didn't come with that with that fourth side right so i mean but i mean the double live album you had, I mean you just had to get the record right the gatefold you open it up and oh yeah the lyrics and the pictures and the credits and and all that and that's really where i started to 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 read about um you know who who helped record i'd never seen martin birch's name before right and i got to see it there and then as you get into music and you listen to other things you see his name elsewhere and you start to sort of put it all together of this you know community of musicians and producers and engineers who all work together you know did side projects and and all that so it's it's that that to me it represents that album represents if 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 there is a moment where you can say you know something changed my life that was it right i got okay. that record listened to it constantly and still to this day i listen to portions of that record almost every day partially because you're ready for this this is this is more of a technology thing you plug in your iphone in your car and it usually defaults to the first song in alphabetical order so it goes to aces high every time right <laughs> So, Works out perfect. Absolutely, <laughs> no issue there at all. So, okay, here's a question I have for you. Um, you went to the roller rink when you were six or seven. You got into Iron Maiden a couple years later with Live After Death. What kind of music were you listening to before you heard Live After Death and 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 kind of like you said had that life altering thing? Yeah. What kind of stuff were you listening to before that? Well, you know, it was generally you know you kind of you're in the you're in your classroom with your your friends and what was big at the time, right? So you're talking you know eighty four, eighty five. So I mean, obviously you know Cindy Lauper and Michael Jackson and you know all that kind of stuff is really big. But I had some neighbor friends that lived up the street, and my friend's older brother had bought um, Twisted Sisters, Stay Hungry. So I got sure. that, um, which was really cool. I feel I have a bit of a kinship with uh, D. Snyder because I share a birthday with him, March fifteenth, right? Yeah. So okay, um, and so listen to that. And then that summer of nineteen eighty five, I got Motley Crue's Theater of Pain record, which is a really great album. I really, still to this day, I, I like that that record. Um, so really? I had that, and uh, um, and then. Um, it was not long after that that I saw 
um, Iron Maiden saw the the Running Free video, and then that was the moment. So I had picked up on heavy metal, and I had okay. also I had also picked up I don't know what it was, but it was just it was I felt uh I, I felt like I, I can't say other to anything other than I felt that that was my thing. I felt that that spoke to me much more than popular music. That was it, right? So I had been sort of building up on some other, um, you know, heavy metal, call it glam or call it, you know, um, you know, eighties glam or whatever. You know, I mean, the, the term I hate is hair metal, but whatever <laughs> yeah. it was, it, that was what I was listening to before I got to got to Iron Maiden. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, now I got to say this: um, way back then, I had. Someone had made me, one of my cousins had made me a cassette copy. One side had Shout at the Devil on it, and the other side had Theater of Pain. And I remember liking both of them yeah. back then. But to me, if you, and I don't really ever go back and listen to Motley If I go back, if I listen to Motley Crue, there's two albums I'll listen to. I'll listen to Shout at the Devil, or I'll listen to their self-titled album with John Karabi in 1994. That is a great um, album. It, yeah, it, it is. is. great. And But you know what? Like it was 1994 and, you know, metal bands couldn't get arrested, which is funny because Iron Maiden was or um, Motley Crue was very good at getting arrested. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, but that, you're right. That's a great album. Mick Mars even talks to this day about how he loved working with John Karabi. And, and I think they even recorded some stuff in the last few years. Right. Since supposedly, Crue, yeah, supposedly. Allegedly broke up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing for me is I go back and listen to theater of pain. Now when I, I don't ever go back and listen to it, but I listened to a podcast one day and they were, they said, we're going to, they were going to do a review on theater of pain. And it was, I, it was a series they were doing. And so I was like, I want to hear what they say about shout at the devil. And it's this, uh, the self-titled album. Mm-hmm. So I listened to the theater of pain. Cause there was a time whenever I, I liked it, I guess. And, and they just, they would play snippets. And, and I was like, Oh wow, this album's not good. Like it has not aged well at all. I think it, like now I hear it and I'm like, I think, uh, what's the song? The first song is city boy blues, yeah. I think. And, and I listen like, I think now and I'm like, yeah, I think that album sucks now. <laughs> really? That's, that's too bad. Cause it's, I think it's, I mean, it was really sort of their, 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 their album where they really came into it. Right. They were, they were, they were going through a stage of opening for, they were well, they opened for Ozzy and, and a few other acts. And, and then that was their, I mean, to think about it in this day, where, where, where in this day and age, could you do three albums and then already be headlining? Right. It's, it was pretty oh, cool. Sure, I, sure. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, tonight we need a lover, use it or lose it. And it's a great song. I mean, that's just two and a half minutes of just straight ahead, you know, good rock song. Yeah, uh, Louder than hell was a good one. I thought that I think. one. Yes, absolutely. Great song. I just, I guess, well, I liked the sound of Shout at the Devil. I liked the heaviness of it, mm-hmm. and they went away from it. And that's what I, you know, I, I guess, you know, and, and if you go back in their history, it was they did Shout at the Devil because they were kind of directed that way, not because that's who they were necessarily, yeah. kind of is what I've heard. And so I, oh, I don't want to get on a Motley Crue thing because I, they're definitely a band. I, I have a couple of friends that that's, you know, their favorite band, and I just, I'm like, whatever. But anyway, I just, when you said Theater of Pain, I thought, okay, I've got to at least say something here. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, just to close up on this, it was funny because I'm, I'm having this conversation with you. I actually got into uh, a discussion, uh, not, it wasn't heated or anything, but a discussion with Eddie Trunk about this when I met him at a, at a, at a club in Vegas uh, a few years back because he loves the first two Motley Crue records, thinks they're the best, and he hates Theater of Pain. And so I, I kind of challenged him on that. So it looks it look it looks to me like an argument I'm going to continue to lose, but you know whatever. Yeah. 
Well, there there was something else you did say though when you said you got kind of into like Twisted Sister and things like that, mm-hmm. and you 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 kind of gravitated toward that. And um, a guy that I had on my podcast before, Alan, he said it really well one time. He said. I didn't know. He said, I like music and I, I was, I knew I was looking for something, but I really didn't know what I was looking for. And for him, it was Iron Maiden. When he heard, he said, when I heard Iron Maiden, I knew that that was what I was looking for. And like, and it sounds like the same thing with you. When you started hearing stuff that was heavier like that, you, you were like, this is, this is it. This is for me. And that's the way I felt too. When I heard stuff like, you know, for me, same thing, uh, stay hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a quiet riot out. I think I think it was the not mental health, but the one after it, condition oh, critical. And you know, my cousin recording me some stuff like Motley Crue and Rat, and thank God he recorded me Wasp, the first Wasp album. That first um, Wasp album is fantastic, so good. Oh God, yeah, yeah. 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 That's another. So that yeah, is another it, rabbit hole we can go down. But yeah, I see where you're coming exactly. from. There. But that, that's yeah. it. It it spoke to me. Whatever was coming out of those speakers was speaking directly to me. It was what I liked. It was. I don't know if it was the the rebellion of it or if it was just the the the, the crunchy guitar or those chord yeah. progressions or whatever it was that was me that was mine and and that's and you know it was that that pivotal moment right and then it just leads you to discover so many other things I think that um the hard rock music because because you go to school and there's not a lot of people listening to it, I think it's in a way it's going against the grain too. And I love going against the grain. And, and to me, it, I, I totally identify with that. And it's like it's per, it's the perfect thing for me personally. And um, but anyway, okay, yeah. let me go here. So, uh, so you went okay. You had live after death. I know you said you kind of started working your way back and backwards, but hearing live after death. You hear Phantom of the Opera, Wrathchild, Running Free, Iron Maiden, all these songs that are originally by Paul Diano, yeah. but they're sung by Bruce. So when you first heard those songs by Paul Diano, what was your initial thought? Well, it was it was funny because not long after I had the Live After Death record, I was watching. Uh, we had a TV show here in uh, in the Toronto area um, called Toronto Rocks, and it was on at four o'clock every afternoon. It was just a music video show, and it was also the uh, precursor to getting our our own twenty four hour music video channel called Much Music, right? And I remember, right? Um, actually, here's a funny story: the 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 VJ who was hosting at the time. Uh, it was a guy named J.D. Roberts. Um, y- you would know him now as John Roberts, the White House correspondent for Fox News. Um, <laughs> he was a he was a VJ here on on Much Music and and sometimes on Toronto Rocks and in, in, in Toronto. Uh, and he played he um, he had he had uh, he, I, I know that they had interviewed Steve Harris when they uh, had Iron Maiden through town. But anyway, I don't know if it was that time or another, but he played women in uniform from Iron Maiden. Uh-huh. And I remember watching it going, this is weird. And I'm, tr- I'm trying, right. to, I'm trying to compute, right. Cause there's no, I mean, there's no internet to get all your Wikipedia information on, you know? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch this going, wait, that's, a, that's not the same singer. Right. So I'm trying to figure out what happened. Right. Um, and then, so years later, uh, you know, a few years later, as I begin to compile the sort of catalog, right. So you get, you get the records going back when I bought the first Iron Maiden album, um, uh, and then when I put on Prowler, and as soon as I heard the voice, I was like, "Oh, that's right! They had a different singer, right?" So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Diano stuff is great for 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 what it was worth. I don't think they ever would have been as big with him if they, you know, hadn't uh, you know got Bruce. Obviously, that's an argument for another day. But 
Um, it, I mean, that's, that's good. That's stuff. not even an argument. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's some people that love those first two records, and you can't deny that it was good. I mean, Killers is a fantastic record. That first, oh. uh, the first Iron Maiden uh, record is is so good as well. I mean, obviously the recording wasn't you know very good. It was not you know Martin Birch production and that, but I mean, it was sure. good. I, I enjoyed. It. I mean, I listened to that. I, I the, you know in my youth, I listened to that record as much as I listened to Peace of Mind, right? Because it was just simply because it was Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, I think both of those first two are great. I, I I had a hard time with getting into the stuff with Paul. I loved Made in Japan when I heard it. Yeah, I heard that before those albums. But when I heard those albums, like I said, especially the first one, um, it just to me I thought Prowler sounded really weak when it started. You know, it didn't have that that like you said the Martin Birch type of uh, the production tones. Value. And, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, um, let's see here. So you go into that, you you start out with uh, Live After Death. So the first new album you get is Somewhere in Time, correct? Yeah. So I got the first new album was uh, was Somewhere in Time. And um, and then, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, I mean, I loved Wasted Years. Um, I loved uh, um, Sea of Madness. And, of course, um, Alexander the Great. Uh, didn't hit me as much as the as as the uh, you know previous records, but I mean it was great. It was Iron Maiden and the cool picture on the front. I mean that's that's probably the best. I, I, I mean, you've talked about album covers before, but I think that is the most detailed um, uh, uh, album cover. So yes, so I got I got that, and then I got uh, a few years later I got Seventh Son, and uh, that one blew me away as well. But I did not get to see them live until they were. Um, when the chili did uh, no prayer for the dying because by mm. then I was 14 and my mother would let me out of the house to go see a, a, a <laughs> rock and roll show. So we went and it was from my friend, a very still, still to this day, one of my best friends, his name is Chris Boshes. Um, and uh, he and I, uh, at 14 years old, went to the old Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto in January of 1991 and saw them with anthrax opening up. I, I even yeah. remember thinking at the time that I was at the show that it was somewhat regrettable that I didn't get to see Adrian Smith play with the band. Right. Cause that was Yannick's first tour. Um, right, but right. that just, it, I mean, I had been like, talk about, you know, talk about, you know, building up and waiting and waiting. I mean, it had been six years almost that I'd first discovered these guys and then get to go see them. Right. And that was a tremendous show. Oh my gosh. It was, it was so good. Um, yeah. So that was my sort of history there, but it's funny because, as I got into high school, so by that time, um, uh, I was in grade nine, or as you guys say in the U.S., ninth grade. Um, yeah. I, um, uh, I, you know, high school is always a great period of discovery. So then I, I, you know, throughout high school, not that I didn't listen to Iron Maiden, but I set out to find out as much as I could about everyone else, right? So I began finding out about Black Sabbath and uh, Deep Purple and uh, Rush and Triumph and you know, some other Canadian bands as well. Kiss as well. I came across, uh, you know, I obviously heard about Kiss who hadn't. Right. But I had never really sure. listened to them. Right. And discovering that in the different periods of Kiss with and without makeup and that sort of thing. And then, and it's funny after high school for, for, you know, it just, it was sort of like, okay, that's my discovery period. Now back to what I started with in the first place. Right. And then I sort <laughs> of went, went, went back to it. Right. So, and by that point, blaze bailey was uh, singing with the band and i didn't take too much interest in it um in in blaze uh, uh being in the band it's funny actually there's another funny story related to that so 
um, in 98, um, Iron Maiden didn't go to Toronto. They came here to Hamilton and they played um, at uh, our local arena here, uh, Cops, yeah. Cops Coliseum, it was called. And, um, and they played there and I had to work that night. I was a, I was a overnight DJ and uh, I had to go to work and I knew if I was going to be at a concert screaming my lungs out that I wouldn't be able to talk on the, on the radio. Right. <laughs> so uh, I didn't go to the show. And uh, to this day, I regret it. Right. I mean, it was, it was, it was during a time where metal wasn't very big. It was the late nineties. Blaze Bailey was obviously the singer, not Bruce Dickinson. So there were a lot of Maiden fans that would have stayed home and, and that sort of thing. And maybe that was also part of the reason um, but what I found out about a week later was that uh, um, after the show, Steve Harris and Dave Murray had gone for a drink at my local watering hole. And I completely uh, missed them there. And it was like, oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I was I, the joke that I make that I was a DJ at a country music radio station in the late 90s. So I will always say country music will always ruin your life. That's what happened to me that night. You know? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. stay away from country music. It'll keep you away. It will literally keep you away from Iron Maiden. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's. Oh, gosh. Um, how big of a place is the, uh, the the arena or the hall that they played in Hamilton? Oh, it was it's a it was a full NHL uh, size arena, and the reason it was built not to go into the history of Hamilton, but they they had been trying to get an NHL team for years. Uh, yeah. They never did, and I don't think they ever will. But uh, they had built this arena um, to to hold you know a, a professional NHL hockey team, and um, and so they would have concerts there every now and then. Now, from from what I remember. They had they had uh, curtained it off uh, quite a bit because they weren't going to get the kind of crowd <laughs> that Iron Maiden was in 1988, right? Sure, um, sure. So, and I think if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think Wasp was also on that gig too. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, well, that I don't know. You'd have enjoyed I, I know that. Was- Oh God, I know. I, I know Wasp uh, Wasp opened for them on the uh, Somewhere in Time tour. I know, yeah, that, I know that at some yeah. point. Yeah, I didn't know. It's possible. It is possible that he, uh, that they, I'm trying to think, 98 Wasp would have been doing, um, which album were they? I they, uh, I won't, I won't call it what it is, but I know in 97 they did the KFD album, if you know which one that is. Uh huh. I do. Um, I've heard of it, but no, yeah. It's, it, it was, it was when Wasp went really dark, angry, kind of industrialish sounding. It was like okay. industrial metal. It was, it's a really, there's some really good stuff on it, but it's a, it's probably, this will, this will be a telling you a lot. It's, it's probably the most, the most foul mouthed album that Blackie Lawless ever recorded. <laughs> really? Okay. I, that one, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Um, there's some anyway, very yeah, think- angry stuff on it though. Yeah, it's, I, I think, I, you know, but I mean, you, you look at a, a gig like that and you look at a time like that and it was very, you know, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, symptomatic of, of what was happening for metal oh, sure. at the time, right? You have one of the one of the premier bands of the 80s and, and, and Wasp as well in their own right, who, you know, and the promoters wouldn't put them in downtown Toronto. They would take them to one of the outskirts right here in Hamilton, right? So it's, uh, right, it's not right. to say that Hamilton isn't a big city that can't accommodate big gigs, but promoters never looked at it that way. Right. They look on a map and they see Toronto. They want to put the band there. They can't get the kind of, they don't think they can get, get the kind of revenue or money or whatever. They, they, they ship it to somewhere else. 
and I guess in this day and age, it's more the casino market, right? So that uh, you know that 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 kind of thing, right? Where they would, you know, in the in the, in the province of Ontario, if they weren't going to do the big money in in Toronto, they would take it out. So I mean, it was good in that I could have gone to see it. <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, I certainly would have, right? So right. Yeah. Well, let me ask. I'm gonna ask you an off uh, an off music question real quick because yeah. you're in Canada, which is obviously um, one of the biggest capitals. Well, I don't know if it's the biggest one, but it's to me. I live well. I live in North America. Is the mm. hockey is huge up there? So do you? Are you a big hockey fan? I am absolutely a huge hockey fan. So I, who's your team? You know, it's funny. My favorite team. Uh, growing up for years, it was never the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was always the Montreal Canadiens. That was my affinity, right? Okay. Uh, and a few years ago, I made a bit of a switch. My favorite team is uh, the the Vegas Golden Knights. That is my team. Okay. I had a chance. I spend a lot of time in Vegas um, for work, actually. Um, not mm-hmm. not much of a gambler at all. Um, and I went to a few games in their inaugural season, and that to me, it was. I mean, I think there's. I think there's like 18 or 19 Canadians on their active roster. It's one of the most Canadian teams in the league. It just happens to be the Vegas, right? Okay. Um, but uh, that's my team. Yeah. Didn't they go to the finals that year? They did on their first year. And I was at that game. I went to see, uh, um, actually uh, tell you, it just gets a little bit personal, but, uh, I happened to be in uh, Vegas on June the 7th of uh, 2018 and uh, I got a, a notice uh, from my lawyer that had informed me that my divorce had been finalized and I oh, thought wow. <laughs> well, what is a great way to celebrate I'm literally in Vegas when I find out that I get divorced so I, <laughs> I bought a ticket for that game uh, it was a little pricey on the secondary market but uh, well sure. worth it the disappointing part was that Vegas didn't win and it was uh, it was uh, Washington and uh, Alexander Ovechkin, they had to hoist the cup that night. Right? Was that a game? Se- oh, was that a game seven? That was a game five. So uh, okay, Vegas okay, had gotten okay. behind in in that series. So game five. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to remember. I was trying to remember, but yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, that's still that's still a good season to start. Oh, with, you, sure. there's been, it's never happened before, right? The, yeah, you know, exactly. A brand new team, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, that was a, was a a wonderful experience. And the other thing is that Vegas is the only uh, is the only city other than Toronto where I've seen Iron Maiden. So I saw them um, on the Legacy of the Beast tour um, just about a month after I saw them for two nights here in uh, Toronto. And then Ooh, uh, I, happened to, I knew I was going to be down that way. So I stayed an extra night because it was, it was so perfect. It was, it was September, Friday the 13th, at the MGM in Las Vegas, watching Iron Maiden yeah. on the Legacy of the Beast tour. It was just, it was amazing. It was, it was oh. such a great night. So you saw them, you saw them. You saw them basically a week before I did. I saw them the twenty first of September. Oh yeah, okay. So that makes sense where they would have been in the in the area. Yeah. So uh, it, that was a cool tour because I got to see them three times on that tour because they were two nights in Toronto, and then the, the the one night in Vegas. So okay, so you told me that you've seen Ma- Maiden a lot of times. What what all tours have you seen? Oh, uh, so let's see. So I would have seen the uh, No Prepare for the Dying. And then I missed the uh, X Factor. But uh, so then I would have seen Brave New World, um, Dance of Death. Actually, you know what? I did not see Dance of Death. And the reason for that is they never brought the Dance of Death tour to Canada. They brought it was before the record got released. And I remember the date. It was August the 3rd of 2003. And uh, the album hadn't yet been released. 
And so they played sort of a, uh, a kind of a best of set with uh, Wildest Dreams kind of halfway through the set. They played a new song from from that from that record. So I never got to see the Dance of Death tour, which which was featured on Death on the Road. So I never yeah. got. Uh, but I, I got it was it was great. They opened with Number of the Beast on that, as I recall. And they played the clans. They played the Klansmen halfway That's... through the set as well, right? Which I thought was really neat. And then, yeah. Um, yeah so I got to see that, and then, and then every subsequent tour, um, of course, a couple of them, like Book of Souls, I saw them twice, and then um, Dance of or um, Legacy of the Beast, I saw them um, three times. And uh, yeah, so I've seen every tour since uh, 2000, and then you got to go back to 91 because there was a space in there. I didn't see the Fear of the Dark tour uh, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and they didn't play. They they played a rather off the beaten path uh, show in Toronto. They played at the CNE grounds in an indoor venue, the, the Canadian National Exhibition grounds. They didn't play in the outdoor stadium, or they didn't play Maple Leaf Gardens. And I think that was a sign that you know metal was kind of on the way out grunge was huge and they weren't putting metal sure. bands in big venues anymore right so so 91 and then 2000 on every show okay okay yeah. now you you said that um in school that you were playing guitar right yeah when you were in high school yes i played yeah, i was in, i played guitar and then uh, in my last year of high school, I switched to the bass guitar. And I think the, the reason for that is the guitar players are a dime a dozen. And you figure out pretty quickly that if you're going to do a band, somebody's got to play the bass. And <laughs> so I switched over to the bass and then, uh, yeah, started listening to stuff more intently on the bass. And of course, being an Iron Maiden fan, you just listen to Steve Harris and, you know, that sort of became my thing. So, yeah, I've been and I play in a band back in the old days before, you know, a global pandemic when we were allowed to play gigs. I would usually play a few times a month with my band. We don't oh, play. Cool. We don't we play. We we do a couple of Iron Maiden songs very rarely. Um, but, uh, yeah, just sort of a, you know, jam and party band is really how we uh, we uh, uh, do it. Just, which, just play bars and restaurants and stuff. Which Iron Maiden songs, if you if you ever pull one out, what what are they? It's usually the Trooper or Run of the Hills. Okay, okay. Yeah. We have two now, vo- we have two vocalists who are very very good in the band, right? So they uh, oh, cool. they, they can handle that. Um, but that's awesome. But when I'm in you know my jamming room with my Steve Harris replica basses and that kind of stuff, I will put on as much Iron Maiden as I can and just play along. It's and it's marvelous. It's like being 15 years old in your bedroom playing your guitar, or drums, or whatever, yeah. and trying to be a rock star. Yeah. The same thing happens when you're 44 years old. <laughs> so, when you got your first bass, did you get a, a Fender Precision, or did I, you? I did actually. Yeah, it just happened to be the the, the bass that m- most appealed to me. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a modified Fender Precision because it doesn't just have the the uh, the, the split coil pickup in the middle. It actually has a humbucker on the on the. Uh, um, the uh the bridge uh a pickup and then um so anyway yeah i um i just <laughs> i got that base and and that was my my only base for a number of years before i started expanding on on my collection but yes i did have a fender precision so how many so you say collection how many bases do you currently have i have uh six i just sold one last week actually uh but i have six of them three of them are steve harris replica bases and there's another really cool story associated with that so i have okay so 
Yeah, so you bought it from somebody, right? Okay. You bought one of them yeah. from somebody. So just go back here. So I bought my, my first Steve Harris replica bass in 2018. It just happened to be at the local music store. It like literally had come. It was almost like fate. It had come in the day before, and it was the only yeah. one that that store chain had in Canada. And I was like, well, I got to buy it. I have to. I can't not. I can't leave here without it. So I bought sure. that. Um, last summer, um, I came across somebody who was selling their, uh, Steve Harris, um, uh, replica base cause they didn't like it for whatever reason you have to understand the Steve Harris base is a very heavy base. Like, like, like actually it's about, cause it's modeled after what the 1973, um, you, you know, Fender precision. So it's like three pounds heavier than the average base that is made these days. Right. It's a very <laughs> yeah. heavy base. Uh, plus the, you know, the, 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 um, mirrored pick guard and that's glass right so i mean that adds the weight to it as well but uh so i bought that so then i had two of them by midsummer this 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 past summer and the reason i bought the second one because i couldn't find the blue sparkle the, that you know the 1980s version of it which is also sure. a replica um so um i was gonna get that and get that painted and i did i needed to get the exact specification on the paint color in order to get it redone so yeah I happen to have a few years ago met Michael Kenny, who is for Iron Maiden fans. You will know exactly who he is. He is uh, Steve Harris's bass tech and the, and the uh, keyboard player on, on most of Iron Maiden's material in the last, you know, 24, 25 years. Right? Sure. Um, and I met, met Mike at um, one of Steve Harris's uh, uh, British lion uh, gigs and I formed a bit of a friendship with him just over the base and that sort of thing. So I, I sent him a message on Facebook. I've been corresponding with him off and on over the past couple of years. And I just sent him a message and I said, Hey, I'm going to get one of my replica Steve Harris bases repainted. What was the actual color of the blue one he had in the 1980s? And his answer was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> was really funny. Right. right. I said, you know, and he's, he said, I don't know. It could be blue fleck. It could be metallic blue. It could be blue sparkle. I don't know what the actual paint color is. And yeah. I said, Oh, that's too bad. Cause I really want to get this painted. And he said, he said, I, his exact answer was, he goes, Oh, I've got a replica here. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> and I was like, are you joking? He goes, no, no. He goes, here, 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 here. let me go to my studio. I'll pick it out. Send a picture and you can tell me if you want it and i was like so the story was and he didn't tell me until after the fact but this was actually when fender music fender musical instruments had gone to um uh steve harris and said we want to make a obviously you're huge and you know you're a you know you know one of the most revered bass players of a generation we want to make a replica of of your bass uh, the first one that they rolled out was the Blue Sparkle one that he played in all the nineteen, um, you know, nineteen eighties uh, videos. Right? Yeah. So, oh yeah, Mike Kenny was sent one of these bases to try out, and it was actually the prototype. It was the first oh, wow. one that they built, and they'd sent it to him to say, "Can you try this out just to see if it meets the specifications?" And it's funny when you compare it to the one that came out a few years later, the the, the West Ham United, you know, uh, logo on it. Uh, it's yeah. actually not to the specifications. There's still some of the more modern conveniences of the, you know, the the the, the, the Fender Precision in that blue sparkle that didn't exist, you know, in when the actual base uh, was built. Hmm. But anyway, so uh, what happened was uh, Mike just he said, "I will I'll sell this to you because I'm starting to downsize in my gear and I'd like to see it go to somebody who would really appreciate it." So. Uh, you know, so he did. 
So he, you know, I had to pay for it to be shipped all the way from Los Angeles up to, uh, to here in Hamilton. But yeah, I have that now. And it's cool because it's got the Steve Harris signature printed on it, obviously, because it's the, the first replica. But Mike yeah. also signed it himself. And so I've got those two oh, signatures cool. on it too. So I have two, two of the, the, the West Ham United and which are exactly the same. And then, um, I've got that blue sparkle, which is really cool. And for an Iron Maiden, Steve Harris fan like myself, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's really cool. Especially. Yeah. You, if you play the same instrument and then, yeah, if he's your, I mean, if you're a big Iron Maiden fan, I'm sure there's lots of fans that if they play bass, Steve Harris is your guy. Yeah, do you right. play with your fingers or do you play with a pick? I do. Well, when I play all the Iron Maiden stuff, I play with my fingers. So when, as far as playing, because I do gig with a band and that. So the way I approach songs is if it was played with a pick, I will play it with a pick. If it was played with fingers, I will play it with with, with my fingers. So when we play, you know, when we play Run to the Hills, I'm playing with my fingers. If we play Mr. Crowley, I'm playing with a pick because Bob Daisley wrote that one, right? So that's obviously yeah, you yeah. want to you want to you want to do it as true when you're in a cover band. You want to do it as true as possible, right? That's my philosophy. Well, let me ask you because um, doesn't Steve play with his uh, index finger and his ring finger? Uh, no, he doesn't. He plays with his his two. Two, so his index finger and then his middle finger. Those, those are the two that he plays. Really, with. it looks like he's playing with his ring finger. In fact, he even said that. If you watch, actually, you probably have. If you watch the the the, the DVD of the making of Number of the Beast, uh, the, you know, I, have, I haven't seen that. Yeah, you should watch it because Dave Mustaine is interviewed as well because he's obviously a huge Maiden fan, and he's like, you know, you got Steve Harris playing with those three fingers, and then they showed a clip of Steve Harris and goes. Then he goes, no, I think it's an optical illusion. I just play with two fingers. So he just <laughs> plays with his index finger and his ring uh, finger. Um, he plays mostly with his ring finger. If you watch, if you watch, like, he played most of what he is hitting. If he can hit it with his, if he can hit two notes in a row just with his middle finger, that's what he will do. And obviously, when he gets into the gallops, he's you know using using two fingers. But he's never used more than two fingers. So if you see it. You know, and I, I mean, a lot, a lot of the galloping stuff, I will cheat as well. And I'll use my, my three fingers. And if I see other people doing it with three fingers, I know that they're cheating as well because we're not <laughs> to that caliber of Steve Harris. Right. But, uh, you know, he's only using two fingers. And the other cool stat about Steve's bases is, is that he's really for, for all intents and purposes, only had the same base for 40 years. Well, more than 40 years, right? Uh, 45, almost 50, right? Because he, sure. he, that when he got that first base, um, he just kept having it repainted, right? That's crazy. So, yeah, so that blue sparkle that he had doesn't really exist anymore because it's now got the West Ham logo on it. And in the meantime, it's also had the, the checkered look on it and a couple of other designs as well. Right, yeah. right. That's wild. Yeah. That is wild. I didn't realize that it was the same one either. That's crazy. Yeah. So when you see, there's pictures of his rack. If you look at some, some people have taken pictures. If you go to the base sites and stuff, there's people that have taken pictures. So on his rack, uh, you'll see what look like his old bases, right? But they're not. They're they're replicas. And the funny thing was that I did find out at at, at the, the British Lions show is that because Mike had Mike Kenny had taken me backstage and shown me you know a bit of the rig and stuff and it was just, it was I was in my glory it was the most one of the most amazing times and there sure. were there were two Steve's two of Steve's bases that were right there and both of them had the big uh straps with the 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 uh you know that knitted um West Ham colors and, and that you know and and sure. uh, and I said to him I said which one is the real one 
And he said, these are both replicas. And he said, the real one is actually in a case. It comes on the road with us, but we rarely bring it out. So Steve plays his own replicas. So more, more than likely, when you see him on stage, he's playing one of his replica bases because they have done such, Fender did such a great job at recreating it. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. So so you went to a British Lions show. Did you get to meet Steve as well? Yes, I did. Um, uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a story there. I don't know how much time we got here, man. I could talk forever, but... Um, go for uh, it. <laughs> so a very good friend of mine, um, his name is Glenn Booth, and he's been a dear friend. He's actually started as my guitar teacher when I was in high school, but we've been friends for 25 years. And uh, Glenn works uh, for Fender Music, uh, the Canadian division is one of their, their, uh, division reps. Um, and he's also worked for music man and Levy's leathers, the, the strap company At the time he was, I think he was working for Levy's, but anyway, uh, he had met Mike Kenny at NAM in Anaheim, which is the, I believe it stands for national association of musical merchants. It's the big trade show that all the, oh, yeah. all the, the oh, music, yeah. uh, companies go to. And of course, celebrities or all the, the, you know, musicians and, you know, famous rock guys all go there too. Right. So anyway, Glenn happened to be there for his company and he, that's where he met Michael Kenny. And I guess Mike had said that they were looking for a design for a new strap for Steve. Could you, you know, come up with something? And it wasn't, it wasn't anything like set in stone. It wasn't a, you know, let you get on this kind of thing. It was, Hey, yeah, Hey, I'll see what I can do. So when, um, Steve was bringing the, the British lion, uh, show to Canada back in the fall of uh, 2018, obviously I wanted to go and, and Glenn and I went together to the, to the show and he, and he sent me a text earlier in the day. He was like, Hey, can you do me a favor? C- can we go to the show a little bit early? There's someone from the crew that I want to meet. And I didn't know it was Michael Kenny. And obviously if, you, if mm-hmm. you're a fan and you watch the DVDs, you get to know the crew as much as you get to know the, the, who the band is. Right. So, yeah. um, I, we were driving up there to the show and I, and I said, who are you meeting with? He goes, Oh, it's a guy named Michael Kenny. And I almost drove off the road. <laughs> like, you're what you're going to do what? And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to meet, uh, because I, I, uh, I, I did a, a design of a strap that Steve might be interested in. And so anyway, um, so we went up to the show and we went to a coffee shop uh, right next to the venue. I don't know if you've ever heard of the coffee shop named Tim Hortons. It's a national institution of coffee shops here. And there was one right next to the club that we were going to see. So we were just sitting there and he sends a tech. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll give Mike a text and see if he wants to come over. So, you know, Mike came in and we talked with him. That's where first where I got to know him and started talking bases. And then he took us for a tour of the of the back of the uh um, of the rig and all that kind of stuff. And then a few minutes later, he came back and he got us. He goes, Hey, you guys want to come over here for a minute? And he, and we walked up and we, he peeled back a curtain and Steve Harris was standing right there. Oh, wow. And I had to play it really cool. And I didn't get a chance for a picture and it was mostly dark. It's because of the club, right? It's back in the club. Yeah. And, uh, and so he, he said, uh, he said, Steve, I just want to introduce you to a, to a couple of guys, uh, you know, that we've, we've met through the industry or something like that, right? As if I was like some big heavy in the, the music business sure. or something like that. He goes, he goes, this is Glenn and this is Dave. And, you know, Steve was like, hey, hey, Dave, it's a you know, pleasure to meet you. And I'm doing a horrible English accent. You know, pleasure to meet sure. you. Thanks for coming. And shook, you know, Glenn's hand. And then that was it. And he was gone. So I didn't get a chance for a picture or anything, but I, 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 I touched greatness that day when I shook his hand. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I went to a, a show in February, British Lion played in Dallas in February. And I had went to a concert with a friend of mine 
he's kind of reclusive. He doesn't get out of the house much. So he wanted to go see this band called Dangerous Toys that we used to listen yeah, yeah. to back yeah, in the yeah. day. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll go. And I knew British Lion was playing the next weekend. And I just thought I'll go to both shows. And then I can't remember what my wife said to me about going to the Dangerous Toys show, but I just kind of thought, eh, I don't know if I want to deal with the flack if I go to shows two weekends in a row. I work a yeah. lot of hours. And, and so I stupidly, kind of like you saying that you did, you should have went to that, uh, that show in 98, you know, and, and all that. I did not go to the British line show. And like I said, I keep seeing people's pictures of meeting Steve Harris at these, yeah. all these shows. And I'm just like, Oh God, I, it would have been worth getting griped at for a week or two, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, you got to pick your battles, right? But you, you also have to figure if you're going to see someone at a, at a club, you he's much more accessible, even if it's yeah. just a matter of waiting at the back door. Right. And I think, uh, I think we all assume that, you know, when somebody from a major, huge, big band gets their own solo act and goes out on the road, that they're going to be touring in the same venues and they don't, they play clubs. Right. Oh, right. So yeah, that yeah, to me, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had it in the back of my mind, not even knowing that I was going to meet Mike and, and, and that kind of had it in the back of my mind that there stood a good chance that I was going to get um, a chance to, to meet him or at least, you know, be up close because you're in a you're in a 400 person club. Right. It, it's, there's, That's really know, cool. Oh, and you why? So I ask you, Steve, why did you turn down that opportunity? That was a, that was a really bad idea. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was <laughs> stupid. Trust me, I've. I kick myself a lot when I think about it because I'm like, you know, I could have went. I mean, I've seen a lot of bands. I mean, it, it's the same place I saw the Iron Maidens like a year or two earlier. I mean, little bitty club, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. Stupid. Yeah, have you, um, so you've seen the Iron Maidens? Yeah, that's those are those those ladies are fantastic. I've had a chance to see them too, so they're uh, amazing. Yeah, I've, I've seen them twice. I've seen them twice, and um, one time they played Alexander the Great. That was the real oddball song they played that you never hear and then yeah. the next the next time well the next time they played rhyme of the ancient mariner which don't don't crucify me for saying this but i don't need to hear rhyme of the ancient mariner live i just i don't you know i, I like yeah. hearing it but but i'm just like you know i'd rather y'all play two or three other songs and uh um, no, that's, but the that's other, a good the, point i i go different i would go differently i would love to hear mariner because of the baseline in it and i watch steve for that but that's my own personal interest i see what oh, you're yeah, saying yeah. why play it it's a great song i mean don't get me i don't i don't i'm not saying i don't you know? like the song i yeah. just but the other song they played that was the because because you know they definitely pull out stuff that made oh, yeah, really they hit they deep they go totally deep they played um the other song they played was they played infinite dreams at that oh, wow. second time I saw them. Yeah. So it was really cool to hear that live. Yeah. So, cause when I saw them, they opened, so I saw them, they were there, they were at a club in uh, Toronto for two nights and I went on the second night and uh, my friend's band was actually opening for them. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, and, um, and they opened with, so I guess the first night they had done sort of the live after death power slave recreation you open up with uh you know uh ace high going to two minutes to midnight something like that on the second yeah. night which i figured would be the similar show they opened up with be quick or be dead oh wow uh, and also midway through <laughs> they did sea of madness uh so yeah oh. it was like they uh, that's i think that's what impressed me it was like you know mm. you guys came to hear iron maiden you're gonna hear iron maiden right which which i thought was awesome that's really great. That's really, I, I would love to hear Sea of Madness. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, did, you, I mean, did you see that? Did you see that video that Adrian Smith put up recently? Uh, of what, which one is it? His, 
I know he made an oh. announcement this morning. I know that this will be aired. Uh, you know, be, be this will be downloaded later. But I saw this morning he's doing a project with Richie Kotzen. But what was yeah, the that's, project? He he put a video. Of Iron Maiden released it the other day. It's a he basically is sitting in his home studio or something, and he he turns on Gangland. Oh, and plays I, yes. The, I saw that and I never downloaded. You know what I was doing? I was, I, well, because I work from home most of the time. So I saw the video come up and I had a call to do for work and yeah. I never watched it. But you're right. He goes through Gangland. He hasn't played that in years. Because I don't think they ever play other than the first tour. On, I don't think it's ever been played live. I don't think they've be, ever played it. Even on Beast on the Road, eh? Interesting. Because well, it's, no, right, yeah. it's not on the. It's not on the album. It's not. I know that much. And I don't Gangland, think it's been played live. Gangland's on the album. Gangland is on. No, no, no. Gangland's not on the Beast on the Beast over Hammersmith. Oh, is it not? Okay, yeah, yeah. Beast over Hammersmith. Sorry, yeah, that, that's what I was talking about. It's did they not play that? Okay, it's been. A, I guess it's been yeah. a while since I saw that. Okay, so you're right. You would never have played it. Jeez. Yeah, that's but it's hilarious. it's. So you have watched it or you haven't watched it? I haven't watched it. I saw I saw it come up on my feed. Uh, okay, uh, gotcha. Think, yeah. On my Instagram feed, they linked it, and then uh, I never it watched is, it. Is. I I mean I've watched it twice and I just literally smile because he every now and then he makes a mistake and you'll hear him laugh while he's playing and you can and or you see him make a face when he messes up a tiny bit and you can hear yeah. it because it's it's he just looks like he's having so much fun and I was like oh god I hope he starts doing more of these because that uh, me personally that's the kind of stuff I want to see from a um from a band that I like especially now when they can't do anything I don't want. I don't want pandemic Paul Stanley telling me to wear a mask while he's riding his bicycle through, <laughs> you know, wherever he's at. Where he's you know. at, where he's where he's in his mansion with his servants. Yeah, saying, we're all in this together, right? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> uh, he's. I, I get it, you know. But even when that, when the, when the, when all this stuff starts, uh, there's a there's a podcast I listened to that called him Pandemic Paul, and I just it made me laugh so hard. But um, <laughs> w- when this all started, he did a couple of videos though where he he was playing some old Kiss songs I and talking yes. about them, and and I was, thought, wow, this will be great. That's and cool. then you're absolutely right. Then everything after that has been like, hey, make sure you're wearing your masks. Oh, geez, yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I always want to think, hey, Paul, how much unprotected sex did you have <laughs> in the seventies and eighties and nineties? And then you're sitting here, you know, telling everybody to wear a mask. I mean, you know, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, you're absolutely right. No, it's true because I remember I saw that same sort of uh, uh, you know progression, right? Where it was mm-hmm. uh, where you start to see musicians just hanging out in their home studios, just noodling around. And to me, that's yes. cool. And but that's now what you're we right. Now see. it's all now it's it's almost it's almost as if uh, you know the 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 local health authorities are are paying him to you know be their <laughs> spokesperson for you know uh, <laughs> protecting yourself during the pandemic. No, I I totally agree with you. You're right. But to see Adrian Smith uh, do that, um, actually, just I remember when the pandemic started, and I remember just looking through my Facebook feed, and the first time I saw a musician actually just doing their home studio thing was um Burton Cummings. Right. Uh, you remember Burton coming from the guess who, and he was a, you know, international solo artist and piano player and stuff. And he's just playing in his studio, playing some old songs. And I thought, Oh my gosh, every single musician should be doing this. And, you know, exactly. sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot. There was a, man, there was a really cool one. Uh, I don't want to go on a whole bunch of these, but I'll name this one that the one that comes to mind. I mean, I've seen a lot of them. So, I, but one that really comes to mind is, 
Charlie, you know, Charlie Benante writes a lot of the guitar riffs for Anthrax, for Anthrax and yeah. he did one where he played a song from the sound of white noise and he had John Bush singing with him. Oh, wow. And I'm like, holy crap. That was, so, I'm like, you're not, ne- you never would have seen that without this going on. So I, like stuff like that. I'm just like, I've seen somewhere. Um, well, here's one other one, another anthrax related one, but it was yeah. Scott Ian, Charlie Benante and Dan Lilker, you know, from you know, well, Dan Lilker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they played, they played like March of the SOD, the, 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 uh, the intro musical part. Oh, cool. Together. And I'm like, Oh man, this stuff is awesome. And Paul Stanley did one where he played love gun and he, I think he played, um, Oh, what was the one? He played something from Dress to Kill or something, I think. And um, I was just like, wow, this is really going to be cool. And then it turned into – oh, so. but Iron Maiden on the on the Twitter, when they posted that video, they said, would you like – or, you know, will this become a series? What would you like to hear? Like they're taking – Yeah. And I'm just like, requests. oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Like they're taking requests almost, and I'm like – this might become a thing where maybe he does this every now and then. And I thought that'd be fantastic. Well, Nico's already done what he did a, a bit with a few players, a few LA players. One of them was, um, uh, Courtney Cox, who was the, uh, who's the Adrian Smith of the iron maidens. Uh, right. I forget what song they did, but they also put together. It was one of those, everyone's in their home studio. I, and you know, the ah. cool part is to try to figure out if they did it all together. Or if they recorded their parts separately and spliced it all in there, and I think the the fun part is trying to figure that that stuff out, right? But I, it gives us yeah, something I always to watch. Want, that makes me wonder. I do wonder about that. Yeah, because you think they've got to have a, either they've got to have a really good setup. A oh perfect yeah, setup absolutely. To be playing it's be in and, real time. You can't have a half second delay doing that stuff, right? So I'm always <laughs> I'm always uh, you know lean. I you know I'll err on the side of you know uh, you know uh, editing right where they splice it in yeah. together. Uh, but cause if you're going to do it off live, then, uh, you know, you can't have, you know, what we're dealing with right now on a, we're on a sure. Skype feed right now and we're a half second delay, right? The odd time it might mean we, you know, cut off each other's sentences, but you cannot do that when you're <laughs> doing a song. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to steer us back to, to the Iron Maiden here. Cause we've went through a lot of the stuff already that you kind of talked through a lot of the things I was going to ask. So I've got a question. Because you said when you you said you were kind of out of Iron Maiden a little bit when you were in uh, high school, yeah. Um, so, at, but but you were definitely back around whenever Bruce and Adrian came back. What did you think when you heard that those guys were coming back to Iron Maiden? Oh, it just blew me away. It it, it absolutely blew me away. Um, they um, they had come to uh, actually that was another part that I missed. So when that when they reunited, they actually came to Toronto. Uh, they played a smaller venue called Massey Hall. Um, yeah. if you're not familiar with Massey Hall, it's a, it's a, you know, legendary old theater in Toronto, still around today. Um, and, uh, Rush recorded, um, all the world's a stage there back in 1976. But, um, okay. um, they came there and I could not get a ticket. I just couldn't get one. And, uh, oh. so I just, I, I couldn't go. Um, but I knew I had, I had heard that they were going to, I figured if they were back, there was going to be a new record. I get to see them, but I, I thought brave new world was absolutely amazing. It, it is it, of my of my post reunion maiden records of the past twenty years. Brave New World would be my number two. Um, okay, well, yeah. And, well, then then tell me. Then t- I want to know what's your number <laughs> next one. Question. Uh, number one is um, a matter of life and death from two thousand six. You're, you're a just, smart guy. It's so good. 
it's just I think it's the most consistent record that I could listen to all the way through. I think yeah. if there's one uh there's if there's one song I do not like uh on that rec- on uh, matter of life and death it would be uh the uh, these colors don't run. Just never Really? I'm, I'm sorry man and and you're a great you're a good American and you guys use that phrase all the time. I uh I just that song just doesn't do anything for me. I think my favorite two songs on um uh on matter of life and death are the last two lord of light and the legacy oh man i can oh, listen yeah. to those two on repeat over and over and over they're great absolutely i love everything i love everything on that album i love it that <laughs> is that is my favorite iron maiden album that's i like it better than power slave oh, I like in, it eh? than, wow okay yeah i it's weird to say it but I, that's how i feel about it um so okay let me okay I, i'm gonna i'm gonna circle this is not a question i have written down but what did you think um Okay, I'm trying to think of because you were kind of. Did you listen to any of Bruce Dickinson's solo stuff while yeah. it was around? Um, I have. Uh, I got. It's kind of spotty, but I bought um, the Tattooed Millionaire when it came out in the summer of 1990. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I bought it too, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I mean, you get to see. I find it interesting because they had he had Yannick play on that record, and then Adrian left, and Yannick sure. came into the band, right? You know. Um, oh yeah, that's, that's cool. That's the storyline's kind of cool for me. But what I um I I if you read Bruce's book, what does this button do? He talks about doing the record as if it was a joke. I was just yeah. joking around, and I was just wanted to. And I think he does that in hindsight, like because I think he took that record pretty darn seriously when he recorded it. Uh, really toured on it and and i think he really i mean there was a couple of songs on that that were obviously jokes right dive 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 is a very jokey song and you know but i mean and 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 he's not singing well it's funny that he wasn't singing his typical self but he kind of sang like that when he ended up doing a no prayer for the dying and certainly on um um, fear Fear of the dark but um yeah yeah, i i I, you know it's funny i i don't listen to much um iron maiden solo stuff i certainly appreciate it uh even even british lion if it's steve harris himself on those those tracks i just it doesn't appeal to me in the same way that iron maiden does i support it i'll download it i'll buy it um yeah you know i think it's funny because uh you know uh um, josh and nesbitt from the old talking maiden podcast they said something really interesting and they said you know and and their their opinion is this and i kind of share it is I think the best Iron Maiden solo projects is Blaze Bailey. Yeah, his um, he's put out some phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. You know, and it's more of a necessity for him. I mean, that guy isn't getting huge royalty checks, right? That guy's got to eat, so he's putting out yeah. records all the time, and uh, it's really good. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it could also be because he's got some skin in the game, whereas. You know, Adrian does a solo project. I guess, you know, you know, Adrian wasn't, you know, wasn't huge, rich. She wasn't getting the royalties that he would be getting now, you know, back in the 90s when he went solo. That's probably part of the reason he joined up with Bruce. But um, the if you, you know, when when the, when somebody goes off and does a solo project, they're obviously their bread and butter is the band that, you know, got them to that point. Right. So everything they do is serious for that. And maybe this is just kind of fun. I mean, you see, this morning, uh, um, Adrian just uh, released some new material he did with uh, Richie Kotzen, which I think is going to be kind of cool, but I doubt he took that as seriously as he did, you know, making Book of Souls, right? So, right. Um, you know, and it could that could be part 
part of the reason. But I think for 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 my money, um, you know, the best solo material from anyone that has been an Iron Maiden has been Blaze Bailey. Yeah, I well, I definitely love Blazes. I think Blaze and Bruce, because for me, I. I I know hindsight on balls to Picasso. It's not as good as I remember it, but I no. loved it at the time. And I still like a lot of the songs on it. Um, skunk works, the album he did after that, that was obviously a lot different, but I like that. Album. I think it's got a lot of good material. Um, uh, I, and still, then, I will skunk works. Um, yeah, not my thing. A uh, tyranny of souls though. Very good. Really like tyranny that. of souls, accident of birth, chemical wedding. I, I yep. really like to me, his absolute worst solo album is is uh, is Tattooed Millionaire. Um, no, I I, I would uh, um, I'm not going to agree with you on that, but I'm certainly not going to say it was the best piece of work that I ever listened to. Right? Although his version of uh, All the Young Dudes is is pretty good, very true to the original, I think. So. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate All the Young Dudes too. <laughs> I like. There's about three or four songs that I like. I like. I think Son of a Gun's a good song. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though they he keeps using that uh, same guitar line in, in Maiden songs, yeah, um, yeah, it's, I've heard the uh, the the mashup, and it's the, it's not even a mashup; it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, of course, you know, it was Yannick and him writing it. So yeah. if Yannick was writing it, um, I like "Son of a Gun." "Tattooed Millionaire" is not bad; it's okay. And uh, "Born in '58" is my favorite song on the album. Um, yeah, I love I, I like the harmonies on the chorus and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, you know what song I like on that? It's licking the gun. <laughs> Dude, it's, uh, yeah, that, yeah. But then again, you see you and I, it, we had this conversation before we started. So you and I, other than, I mean, I, I, I think it was a bit of a re- revelation, pardon the pun that when you said your favorite record was uh, um, a matter of life and death, because I will certainly agree with you. It's, it's in, it's my, one of my top records and it's your top record. Um, yeah. However, um, my favorite song on um, Book of Souls is Man of Sorrow. Yeah, we had that was this. That's, <laughs> I've with, never. For, I mean, you consider it's a double record with all those songs. Which one do I think is amazing? That one, like the second to last song, right? So, uh, you know, it, it's these, these varying opinions. That's what I like about this. It's these varying opinions. Yeah, sure. And yet we can talk about it for, you know, forever. You're you're definitely the only person I've. I mean, I'll be honest. I most people I've heard say, um, the 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 normal thing I hear on that is that song should have been. They said if that wasn't a double album, that song should have been a B side. Um, I've heard I've heard many people say that album that that along with Tears of a Clown should have been left off the album. Um, I've heard people well, say. See, I, 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 I don't mind it. I like Tears of a Cloud. I think it's a great song. Um, whether or not you like the whole story behind it, you, you know, Bruce is walking in New York and sees Juilliard and thinks of Robin Williams and writes the song and you know whatever. I yeah, I don't care. I think I think yeah. it's a great song. And I think it, I I didn't like that they took it out of the second round of the Book of Souls tour and replaced it. Oh, I with, do. <laughs> with uh, what, what did they replace it with? The great uh, Unknown. The Great Unknown, which I you know I I I, I get kind of bored during that song. Oh my God! Great unknown is a much, much, much better song. <laughs> Disagree. You will not get my agreement on that. That's okay. You can be wrong. You know. <laughs> you know. You know what I could do is I could um, 
go somewhere in the podcast where you say, oh, I totally agree with you, and then I could just edit you that into like, right after I say it? You are free to do whatever you want, because I don't, even, I wouldn't I don't do think that, I'm though. entitled to a master copy of this, uh, of this interview. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but nah, I, I, hey, we all, we all like what we like. It's all, you know, me, I, I said something on one of my recent episodes that I, I liked. I, I, I said, music is art, and art is subjective, you know? So everybody can is going to look at it and see something differently or hear something differently. Here's my opinion on um, Tears of a Clown, I think, is a really, really weak song. But I totally understand people getting behind the meaning behind the song because it's, it's a very personal song. It's not yep. something that Maiden normally does. And Man of Sorrows, uh, Man of Sorrows, the Man of Sorrows. Yeah, um, no, the, the Man of Sorrows is it, it's, it's another Man of Sorrows, a different one from a, a different album. I think it's just Man of Sorrows on the. Yeah, Man of Sorrows is a Bruce solo, and then the Man yeah. of Sorrows because he says, "As we look to see the Man of Sorrows." So yeah, that's. But yeah, I, I I don't really I don't dislike it. Um, I believe it's a I believe that's a Dave Murray co right. Um, yeah, well, and, you can tell the Dave Murray Dave Murray songs all have a long kind of uh, guitar slow nice intro, intro. right? Yeah. And that's very yeah. signature of of a Dave Murray of a Dave Murray right. But the thing you got to remember about, about about Book of Souls it is it is a a double record of a band yeah. that guys are in their sixties who have written you know thousands of songs collectively. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, to think that they can put a, a, a double album together, that is so good, but you have to take into account, there's going to be some clunkers on a double record. Right. I remember, I remember in 91 when, when, uh, Guns N' Roses released the use your illusion album uh, <laughs> and, and a local DJ on a radio station, funny, a lady that I ended up working with many, many years later, she was saying, she goes, there is absolutely no way that there's going to be amazing songs on, on both of these records. There's going to be some songs that stink, right? Oh, when you release yeah. two records That's an at the understatement. Same time, <laughs> yeah, when you put out two records at the same time, there's got to be some filler in there, right? So anyway, yeah, and that's what, you know, that's what with, with book of soul. So for me, it's, it's the great unknown. You know, uh, and and um, you know maybe a little bit of red and the black. I mean, red and the black is good. I think it's too long, but yeah. you know, Iron Maiden's never been fearful of writing really, really long songs. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think for me on Book of Souls, I would say, well, obviously the two weakest songs to me are the the two we were just talking about. But I I think red and the black. I don't like the chorus. I love all the musical interludes and things that go on. It's a long, it, like I said, yeah. it's a long song, but but I enjoy listening just to the music. I don't like the chorus. I think the um, what is it? Um, what's the one that has the uh, wasted years sounding intro? Um, the um, Sh- shadows of the valley. Yeah. I like that one. I um, do like that. I, yeah. I like the great unknown a lot. I think the great. I man, I tell you what, the more I listen to the great unknown, the better I think it is. Um, okay, yeah, but I you think, know what? It gets that way too. I will, I will, I will sympathize with you on that because it's, it's, it, you know, <laughs> the more you, the more you listen to a certain song, the different way you're going to appreciate it. It took me, funny enough, on Brave New World, it took me 17 years to appreciate the Nomad. Really, I, I would always skip it. It uh, and then and then you know when for whatever reason I let it run and it just I don't know for what I was feeling at the time or what I was doing at the time or whatever it happened to be it just hit me in a different way and now I love it absolutely love it 
I do too. I love no. the Nomad. It's you great. know other than, I mean you know other than the, um, you know that that one part of the song that probably the best part of the song is the part that was written by Beckett. <laughs> you know did, you know yeah, the story I, behind I, that. You know what? I just you know what's funny. You cut it the moment you said the funniest part of the story is, and then I lost you there for a second. Just repeat what you said. Oh, there. the the funniest the best part of the song. It, or the funny thing is the best part of the song was written by Beckett. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, now there's a lot of great parts. I like that song, but no, it's cause it's right in the middle of two amazing songs as well. There's the fallen angel. And then it yeah. goes into nomad. And then it goes out of the silent planet. And then, yeah. uh, so that three, that three combination there, it just, t- it just took me a while to sort of appreciate it. Right. And, and everything depends sure, on what you sure. happen to be doing and what your, what your brain is taking in at the time. Um, you know, just, that was just the one song that I didn't really get. And then all of a sudden one day, it would, that, that was, you're absolutely right. There's so many great parts to it and it's a nice, good, you know, Iron Maiden open. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a phenomenal song. I, I, I liked all the, um, you know, the, what he was, there's a line in the song where he says the one, that, the ones that fear him, the ones that fear you are the ones that you despise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, and, and it's, it's got a good cadence too, like a rhythm. It's almost like a, it's almost like a talking, like a storytelling kind of song. Right. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, it's got but a little yeah, bit of a middle Eastern vibe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think it's the Phrygian mode. I could be wrong. The guitar players are all going to get on me about this, but it's that, yeah. Or the Lydian. I'm not sure. Somebody, somebody yeah, will no. email you and, and somebody will text you and say what modal, uh, solo that was in. Right. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you were. You were, I was gonna say we're talking. Uh, we're talking Egyptian, but now you're speaking Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> might Absolutely. as well start talking about Alexander the Great, huh? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, I don't. You know, I don't really know of it. Well, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's it's we. There's a there's a certain amount of world history that you could learn from just listening to Iron Maiden's songs. Oh yeah, which which is well, kind of funny. Right. But, uh, there's, you know, I've seen posts about that. I've seen, you know, metal posts and, you know, different, you know, groups that you're in and stuff. And it's like history that I've learned from just listening to Iron Maiden. Right. And, uh, that's one one of those, one of those stories. Well, you know, one of the coolest stories for me was like, and it's not history in per se, I guess, but certain amount of it is I pick, I had my daughter in the car with me one day and I'm driving around and, and, I was playing peace of mind and flight of Icarus is on and it's playing. And my daughter's sitting there and all of a sudden she just goes, we, we watched a video about this at school today. And I'm That's like, that's cool. Yeah. I'm like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm thinking you didn't watch the flight of Icarus video. She goes, no, no, no. We watched this video about Icarus. And I'm like, how many times are you ever going to hear your kids say yeah. that while they're listening to a song? <laughs> that's, that's it was so really cool, cool moment. Well, I remember my grandmother uh, being over at the house when I was listening to the Live After Death record, right? And so she was immediately taken by hearing Churchill's voice and Churchill's sure. 1941 speech to, uh, to Parliament. And, uh, you know, and she lived it, right? She was, you know, sure. in Great Britain in the Second World War, right? And so she hears Churchill, and then that becomes part of the, the, the storyline, right? It, it, it connects, right? So, yeah, that's that's another that's cool. hilarious aspect of it, right? Yeah. Now let me ask you this. You you said you mentioned earlier at the very beginning. You said that you had the live after death uh, tattoo on you. You but you also told me you had a few others. What what else do you have? So I have my live after death 
which actually all of my tattoos are in the process of being sort of spiffed up and redone. So I, my first tattoo I ever got was Live After Death uh, on my on my left arm. Just it's the cover. It's 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 just the cover redrawn. Uh, and above that, I got one earlier this year. Uh, it is the Brave New World record. And oh, it is cool. the face from the Brave New World cloud coming out. It's looking down on the Live After Death. And I had the tat. No problem. I had the tattoo artist link the two by using the lightning. The lightning from the from the Brave New World linking with the lightning coming out of Eddie's head. In um, Oh, cool. Uh, and it, I didn't think there was a way to combine the two because the shading and the coloring was different. But you link it that way, it looks really good. And on my other arm, I have the trooper. And above the trooper, I have uh, the number of the beast, Eddie. Still working on that and what we're going to do for backgrounds and that kind of stuff. But I got, I've, I've got four, which are all kind of blended into half sleeves, right? I'm a, when we get back to working again after the pandemic, I'm a suit and tie kind of guy, so I can't go below the elbow, right? So, ah, that's funny. <laughs> so, so when did you, you, you said the first one was live after death. How long ago did you get oh, that? That was, uh, it was only a couple of years ago. It was uh, 2018. You know, no. Oh wow! No, no divorce and midlife crisis would be complete without some Iron Maiden tattoos, right? So, <laughs> so, so it sounds like um, the, the the thing I've that I've heard people tell me is don't get tattoos because once you start getting them, you'll you'll never want to stop. They are. And so you're. It sounds like that's what you're living. <laughs> yeah, it's as literally as you're getting one, you're thinking about your next one, right? Because you're like, oh, what can that's, I add to that? It's funny how they say that. It's it's, it's uh, so anyway. Um, but that's yeah, crazy. It's, it's true. So, and I, I think I have decided, like, I'm not going to get any other tattoos, either name, names of my children or anything like. I think any tattoo that I'm going to get in the future is going to be Iron Maiden related. That'll just be my cool. thing. I will be a canvas for Iron Maiden. That's cool. That's cool. So, okay, let me see here. I'll, I'll wind us down here real quick. Um, what is your favorite Iron Maiden album? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. You should have known that. Trust me, I got. I have a couple other questions like that are going to be. studio album? Studi- yeah, we're not talking live okay. here because obviously Rock and Rio is the best. Uh, no, kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think for, for my money based on what I listened to, what I think, I think I'd have to go with the seventh son. I really do. Choice. It's just choice. It's, you see the progression and how much they have, they have learned and incorporated into their, their music yet still true to that, you know, that, that raw, even though there's a lot of, you know, synthetics on, on the record, you can hear synthesizers, you can, you can hear guitar synths and all that kind of stuff. But what they were writing was, was just it's just growing and growing and growing and it, and it culminates in that in in what was kind of supposed to be a concept album but not really if you hear what Bruce Dickinson says but yeah seven right, seven right. would be my favorite that if you were asking me to pick one that's it that's hey that's I mean I can't fault that that's definitely in my top five I don't know exactly where it fits yet but I know it's in there um, yeah. And and it's like it's like they say on Talking Maiden, you know, you you could have your top seven or eight or nine Iron Maiden albums that are just us just a just a hair apart because they're also they got so many great albums. Um, oh yeah, I mean it's just you know you just you it's it's tough to do. It's you know I, I think I would have an easier time picking my top twenty favorite Judas Priest songs as opposed to my twenty favorite Iron Maiden songs, only because I feel I have a vested interest in the Iron Maiden songs more so than the priest ones, right? You know what I'm saying? 
Sure. You're not oh, as, yeah. You're not as understand subjective that. of any other band as you are about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, they're definitely uh, a whole different world. No, no pun intended. There, no pun but. intended. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I kind of do intend my puns sometimes when I say it. So yeah. pun intended. I'll go ahead and Absolutely. take that. Okay. So another hard question for you. This, this may be actually easy. You might have already answered it, actually. But what's your favorite album cover? Oh, favorite album would be Live After Death. Okay. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. You said even you mentioned somewhere even up against even up against yeah no I think no I said that Summer in Time was it's the most detailed one detailed so you, okay you can get yeah, you really right. get lost in it right because it's not only an Eddie picture there's also so many other hidden you know Iron Maiden references in there too the time on the clock and the Ruskin arms and the West yeah, Ham yeah. score and all that you know like all these sort of the, the additional parts so that's like it's the most detailed one but I mean I think my favorite uh, yeah. I mean, it's it was the first one that I got. It still stands up to every single one of them, right? Um, gotcha. You know, I'd be going, I'd I'd be, um, uh, you know, I, I'd be. Uh, I, it's funny you've had it on your show as well. You've talked about you know the worst album covers and that kind of stuff, right? So, uh, I'd well, be more easy to be easier to pick that one, I think. But yeah, I, I would go I have to go with Live After Death for the favorite. Really, if you look at Live After Death, it, there's a lot of details there too. Oh. You know, there's the grave markers and just all the little, there's a lot of little things on there too. So yeah, there are, it's, um, yeah. And then of course you can open it up right on because the, the, the album would fold out the back, right. You can see the rest of the cemetery, Uh grim reaper in the background and uh, all that black cat and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The black cat. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the last difficult question I'll ask you. What is your, (laughs) this is a question. I hate these kind of questions. Some people ask me some questions like this on my, uh, one of my episodes that I did recently. What is your favorite Iron Maiden song? Oh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> oh, I should have, I should have known this question was going to come up. My favorite Iron Maiden, because it does change. It does it change. Does. It, I think it, it absolutely does. It, that is a tough one. But I imagine that I would have to go with uh, probably die with your boots on. Oh, and I know that's going to hurt you. You're kidding, man. No, I'm not. You're kidding. No, I'm not. I play, <laughs> I love playing that song on my bass. I love die with your boots on just every time. There's no time to turn. Are you serious? Off, You're being no, serious right serious. now. I'm dead serious. Dead serious. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I guess you've probably heard some of my recent comments oh, about that song, right? I have, yeah, absolutely. This is a man. <laughs> oh, that's right, because I said it on the live album one, yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. like, I said, yeah, side four is great. You know, you got Children of the Damned, Hallowed Be That, or no, not Hallowed, you got uh, Phantom. You've Keisha got Keisha Avenue. Keisha Avenue. Um, and then I skipped, I, I, there's one other one. What is the other one? Yeah, I can't yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a fan of the opera, and you get Die With Your Boots On, right? You skipped yeah, it. I was I like, know. oh, yeah, I forgot. I Die With Your Boots On. I, I don't. The thing is, you know, you are the only person that I, you got, you talk to them more than I do. You got you're the one with the podcast. I have never yeah. heard anyone anyone that has that is even remotely an Iron Maiden fan because you got to be an Iron Maiden fan to know "Die with Your Boots On," right? It's not it's not a run to the hills. It's not a trooper. Sure, know, sure. Anything like sure. that. It's not a wasted years. But I've never met anyone who likes Iron Maiden that does not like that song. You're the only. One. I like you're it. The only one. I like. It. <laughs> Well, I've got a platform, so I'm going to spread that word. <laughs> no, I, I like it musically. Mm-hmm. 
I just, I just think lyrically, like I really like, and I said this on the live thing, but I, I, even on the, the album itself, you know, the way, you know, if you're gonna die, if you're gonna die, I hate the way they sound on the chorus. It's terrible. Or that's the pre-chorus, yeah, I guess. No, it's, it's the pre-chorus. All right. But it's, I, but I think it's kind of representative of Iron Maiden because, you know, Adrian's the only one that sings background, right? Steve kind of shouts some stuff and, and that, but they don't really have a background chorus. Anything that they yeah. do is all recorded, right? That's all Bruce stuff. So, usually, uh, usually so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, oh, I, I can't believe, I still, you're, you're pulling my leg right now. You're still. No, I'm not. I, I, I think from, from my money, and that's more, that is a bass player thing too. I love playing along with that bass line. It's just so much fun. Yeah, I can and, understand and I, it. Yeah, I, can, I, I guess if you like playing with car, it, I can. Just, just crank it in the car. It's just, it is just one of those songs. Um, Great, great lyrics. It's a really tight ending on it too. Really cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be it. And if I had to pick that, you know, and again, but it does change, right? Depends. Sure. If I spend, yeah. if I spend, if I spend you know, a, a week in my car listening to, you know, the X Factor, it, it, geez, you know what? It, it could, could very well be the educated fool. Who knows, man? Okay, so uh, I'm going wait, a little bit. Wait, educate, going a little bit out there. Educated fool is on virtual eleven. Actually, I just so. said I say that's what I meant to say. Virtual eleven. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so wait a minute. Okay, so since you did, since you said that, die with your boots on, and I mean, wow, I, I that I, like I said, I'm you, you you've like um, I'm almost speechless. I can't believe that you're saying that. So okay, what would be your second one? Give me another one. Second, I can't. I can't. Second favorite. I can't end on that. Oh, second favorite <laughs> song. Um, yes, Flash of the Blade. Okay, that's a okay. So you're going deep because that's I that I can respect. Well, yeah, that. I, 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 you have to go deep. You have to. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's one. I guess it's. it's oh, you dropped something. I dropped my phone here. Hang on a moment. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> can you hear me there? Yeah. Sorry. I yeah yeah. yeah. My, uh, um, I um. I mean, I think it's it's fine to say if you're if you're a fan and you like the ones that everybody's heard, that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think if you are a true fan, you are just naturally going to gravitate to stuff that people you know don't listen to every day or that people aren't going to you know go to on the album, right? So I do like the deep cuts, but I think that's part of being. A I fan. definitely you respect appreciate that. the deep cuts, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then let me ask you another question. Okay. okay I'm. Because uh, I will say this before we ask the question, I got I have a meeting in a couple of minutes. I got to get to, but I can answer this one question and we can wrap. Okay, last question. Last question for you then. What is your favorite Iron Maiden song from the post two thousand era? The legacy. Okay, I can respect that. I know you can. No. Yeah, Steve, we have yeah. to well, end okay. on a high note here, Steve. Come on, right? We have to end the on a leg- note. Hey. <laughs> You, you just named the song that I said was my favorite song off of my favorite there album, so I can respect that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, Dave, I really do appreciate your time. I know you got to go here, so um, I appreciate your time and, uh, you know, because we've been on the phone for a while. Let me ask you one real quick question. What other bands do you like besides nowadays? What do you listen to nowadays besides Maiden? Uh, I listen to a lot of Judas Priest. I listen to um, a lot of Sabbath, actually. I'm uh, kind of okay. setting my ways that way, but there's, you know what? There's other days where I'm just happy to turn on the yacht rock station on satellite radio, listen to cheesy, cheesy seventies gold stuff. And you know, Oh yeah. Play. Oh yeah. I can, li- I, I can relate. Yeah. I listen to a lot of Canadian stuff too. I, I listen to a lot of, uh, you know, Kim Mitchell, Max Webster, that kind of stuff, stuff you might not have heard of, but, uh, you know. never heard, yeah. never heard that. 
Well, man, I, I do, again, I do appreciate your time and, um, I'll let you off of here, but, um, like I said, it's been fun, man. It's always fun to talk maiden with other maiden fans. So thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I hope we can talk again. Absolutely. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Well, there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Dave, like I did. And if you think when you listen to that, hey, man, I would really like to talk to Uncle Steve and tell him my story, or I'd like to tell everybody my story. Here's how you do it. You send me an email, ironmaidenpodcast at gmail.com. You send it there. You tell me your Iron Maiden story. You tell me everything that goes along with it. Tell me the things that would be interesting for people to hear. Uh, I do not discriminate. If you don't have a million interesting things, that's perfectly fine. I just like to know how I'm going to ask a person questions. So please just go ahead and send me that email if you're wanting to do it. And you know you do. So with that, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Dave, from Iron Maiden, from Eddie, and from the boys. in life are bad they can really make you mad other things just make you swear and curse when you're chewing on life's gristle that grumble give a whistle and this'll help things turn out for the best and always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life Must always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your seat, give the audience a grin. Enjoy it, it's your last chance, anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath, life's a piece. When you look at it, life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of
Oh.